Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Kickstarter journey. Today, I have Alexander Lee with me from Loft Goblin Games, and he's going to be sharing with us some interesting perspectives on a game they put together called Necromagus. Uh, I might be mispronouncing that, so I'm sure he'll correct me. Hello, Alex. Hi there. How's you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, glad to have another creator on the podcast to learn about what made your game possible. Sure, sure thing. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly go through some stats on your game, and I'm sure you can uh, share some more of that with me as the time goes on, and then yeah, we'll get into some questions. Cool. Sounds good. All right. So Necromagus, is that how you pronounce it? It's Necromagus. Necromagus. All right. Necromagus yeah. is a card game. I actually uh, backed this card game, and I have a copy of it here at home, and it's been fun to play with my son. But it's a two-to-four-player expandable card game using the dead for your own twisted machinations. And um, so basically you're bringing to life these cool necromancers and crazy creatures. And uh, some of them are pretty morbid, which I, I love that factor of the game. And your game actually funded almost $4,000 US, or sorry, over $4,000 US, 4,500 on a goal of 4,000. And you had 193 backers. So almost 200 people supported the game. Uh, so we're going to get into a discussion here. And the first thing, Alex, if you can tell me, what made your company decide that Kickstarter was the path to take for your game? Um, I asked Chris about this one, and I think we both agreed that it was easy user engagement. I'm sure uh, you running your own Kickstarter campaign, we can agree that uh, having comments and all of this user feedback open and available at all times, um, being able to interact with our audience through updates and all that, that was the big thing for us, just to be able to talk to people. Yeah, I honestly, I know there's Indiegogo and there's other crowdfunders and, and ways to establish your game on the yeah. game crafter and stuff like that. But there's something For about sure. Kickstarter that just has that established audience and that very cool communication channel that you mentioned. So uh, oh, I'm yeah. glad you found it and that you and you have a, a co-creator. His name is Chris Miles, right? That's the guy. And so in your in your journey, in your um, game creation, what kind of role do you play versus what kind of role he plays? Oh, that's a that's a tricky one. <laughs> uh, we, me, he and I met at a unrelated workplace. We were just uh, working in a laboratory. Uh, sorry, laboratory together. Yeah. Um, we found out after extended conversations we were the only two people in the lab, uh, and we shared a great love of video games for one thing, uh, lots of old uh, '90s video games, that kind of thing. And eventually, he like Doom or um, Starcraft oh. or that kind of thing. Starcraft, definitely. I'll specify like real-time strategy games such as, oh, what can I say, Age of Empires, especially okay. yep. was a really was a preferred one. Uh, Dungeon Keeper, all of these old games. Um, I personally wasn't into tabletop games at, at the time. Uh, you know, I kind of I knew about Magic: The Gathering a little bit, but I had no knowledge outside of that. So when he showed me all of this this huge breadth of amazing tabletop games to play we um we just took it from there eventually he always had this idea of oh i want to make a game i'd love to make a card game i love magic and yeah. uh, i was it for a short while i was along for the ride uh, but my role became probably the primary artist on necromagus oh very cool so some of these uh twisted imaginations came from your mind yeah i hate, hate to <laughs> hate to admit it but yeah that is the case <laughs> 
it's a it's a great creative outlet if if nothing else so and your <laughs> kickstarter was definitely successful i mean like i said you raised over $4500 as a first time creator having over two almost 200 people support you on it is pretty intense i know some creators struggle to even get 20 backers so mm-hmm. without diving too deep into your personal finances would uh, just a goal of 4000 have made made the game break even make profit or are you still costing money on your part to create the game uh, this was a very interesting one that I saw. Um, it made Necromages possible, not profitable, is yeah. is the outcome for us. Uh, I was fortunate, because I'm not a very numbers-oriented person, I preferred the design and artwork aspects, as, as you probably see in the game. Uh, Chris, mm. fortunately, was available to do a lot of the number crunching and accounting for everything we would need. So our entire funding goal in, uh, was comprised of Printing costs, which was probably the biggest cost we had, as I'm sure you understand, printing can get very pricey. Indeed. Uh, shipping was the second most important thing we had, and then uh, he accounted for like a contingency fund. So any any errors that we needed to rectify in shipping, which would be my main concern at that time, uh, we we had the money we needed for exactly that. So there was no profit as such, but we had like a bit of resources left over to do anything. Um, important with in the event that there was emergency or something yeah exactly and, and mm. some people would say that the art is one of the more expensive part of the game but since you're the artist it's kind of your own personal time that you committed to the project too right yeah the time would be the only expenditure since chris and i were both doing the art and i was focusing on you know i was doing artwork for the cards as well but also we were focusing on oh you name it you know packaging artwork advertising artwork anything like that it's cheap because we can make it ourselves. But right, right. It is, it is time consuming, you know? Yeah, and time yeah. is money. I mean, that's probably <laughs> the number one thing that uh, the games that I've made is it's a lot of time sink and you don't really pay yourself for it. So you're, it's all about the creative and getting your game out there regardless of the mm. cost, it seems like. So. Absolutely. And you guys have some extra copies available from what I understand. So we'll talk about that later, but um, maybe that will help um, ease the financial burden of a game near the end. Or- <laughs> expansion that would be very nice Uh, wouldn't it indeed (laughs) so once you funded your project on kickstarter there's always a preset expectation to make the product better through stretch goals now your game i'll just pull up the data here for stretch goals i think you had three that you wanted to unlock and um i think you guys just cusped the fun the the funding goals so uh, what would you have unlocked and what made you interested in having those this was uh, this was a consideration that Chris had mainly. I, I will admit, and this is a bad concession to make, but I, <laughs> I didn't expect I didn't expect us to reach any stretch goals. Right. So when right. we did, obviously it was quite an interesting. Oh wow, you know, I think we must have reached the stretch goal after we had funded. Yeah. So there was this uh, case of, oh, you know, thinking the night before, oh, people, you know, maybe we will just reach the the funding goal. That would be nice. And then the morning after finding out, oh, we funded and reached a stretch goal. I did not expect that. Good. Um, so it, it was it was nice in a way because you think, oh, we've got this extra money now, and we just put it into like a contingency fund. But it um, it, it came at no greater expenditure to us, and it also it didn't really make things any more complicated for us. Uh, luckily, Chris had these um, stretch stretch goals figured out. Um, beforehand and i think some during the campaign's life cycle 
Yeah, and that's certainly the way to go. You don't want to have a, oh, I funded now, I should make a stretch goal. You want to have those kind of predetermined and have them built into your expenses for sure. Yeah, we, we could have done a better job of that. I'll admit that much. <laughs> um, and uh, what factors did you use? Sorry here. Uh, if you could share one key learning about stretch goals, even from other campaigns that you might have seen, what do you think that would be? Prepare them as accurately as you can. Uh, yeah. And I, by that I mean I factor in the, the costs that they would take, you know, the time commitment you would have to make for them. Um, you need to have that built in, as you say, to the campaign when you first start drafting it up. So have that beforehand, not afterwards as an afterthought. It's uh, you're opening yourself up to a headache yeah. if you uh, don't have them prepared. Agreed, agreed. Uh, there's a ton of different ways to advertise and market a game, and I've asked a few creators about this already. Uh, so whether it's free or whether it's paid, whether you do it yourself or do it professionally, what did you find to be the best ways that got you attention to your game or backers for your game? Um, mm, Facebook groups. We we were always, I, I'll say we, Chris was always all over the Facebook groups, um, you know, appropriate ones saying, hey, look at our game and all that. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of the time we would had this, uh, how would you describe it? It was like you would sort of take an after, a before and after image of a card that we had designed, thinking, oh, this is how it looked before some changes and, and after some changes, or even not even a card design, but like some artwork, just yeah. something quite innocuous where whatever we go for is going to be the most extreme twisted version we can get anyway. But you show that to some people in a board gaming group and say, what do you think of this artwork? Do you prefer, do you prefer A or B? You know, um, any changes you would make. And that method of opening up your game, your product, whatever it is you have to user input, I think is really quite important. We got a lot of engagement from people doing that type of thing. Yeah, it's almost like a, a subliminal different kind of way of doing it instead of blatantly <laughs> saying, hey, come to my group yeah. and like the game, you're, you're sharing parts of the game. And if they, if that intrigues them, then they might ask mm. you probing questions and that opens it up for you to actually share your Facebook group or share your website. So you're doing mm. it in a roundabout way and getting feedback Definitely. at the same time. Yeah. I like that. We had a, another really good idea, which was our Facebook competition where we offered like a free copy, free physical copy of the Necromages core set. Uh, and all you have to do, it was like a typical competition on Facebook, you know, share this post, like this post, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and yeah. you'll be in for a chance to win a physical copy. And that seemed like a fairly simple thing. And we must have had about 300 applicants, 300 oh, wow. email addresses from that. So it was no nothing to sort of sniff at, you know? And, yeah, uh, and when it's only at a $10 expense or $15 expense to give out a game to get 300 mm -hmm. people, that's uh, when, you, can it, can it, when you charge it per person, that's a fantastic number. Yeah, it certainly came out well with that one. And did you guys do any paid promotions where you sent a game and paid someone to review it or uh, paid for Facebook ads or things like that? We've paid for a single Facebook ad. It was the minimum expenditure. Um, I forget how much it was. It must have been in the region of seven Great British Pounds. Uh, yeah. And it was just uh, uh, we built the advertisement. I think it gives you an option to put in uh, search engine optimization, something like that, different tags and terms saying, oh, you know, put this into some board gaming or tabletop gaming Facebook groups. So it was yeah. specific to Facebook and the advertisement went out and 
I can't recall the exact numbers of the data, but it was something, it must have reached about a thousand, maybe over a thousand people. Well, From nice. that, it, it, it seemed nice, uh, but looking at the data, we over time we must have received about five followers in the wake of that advertisement. And right, right. even though it was a, it didn't cost very much at all and we could afford it and all that, it seemed like not a lot of people saw the ad and thought, oh, I'm interested in that, I'll follow them. They sort of looked at it, clicked it, and then it was like, oh, I'll go and make a cup of tea and do something else. And then they forget about us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very so, competitive uh, market. So we almost, uh, sometimes we just fade out advertisements as well. It's, I think they yeah. say the average is you've got to see something anywhere from five to seven times advertised before you're really drawn into it. Unless there's just some mm. hook to it, like you said, like a, a free product will get someone to click more than uh, learn more about our game type of ad. Yeah, I know what but, you mean. That's good. What about word of mouth? It's a I find that's a key way to share a project and a product. And you mentioned um, sharing comments about your art. Uh, and Kickstarter is a very social form of getting your product's attention. So in your mm -hmm. campaign, uh, for word of mouth or just discussion, you had 152 comments on your page. Uh, what, were you involved wow. in some of those comments or discussions, and did it help your game at all? I was involved. I think me and Chris took turns, essentially. You know, whenever a comment came by and was like, hey, I'm not so sure about this, we kind of uh, passed the parcel a bit on answering some of the bigger questions about logistics and uh, there were some concerns about the rules and all this kind of thing, which, uh, to go on to the next point, absolutely helped us. So having people come to us with all of their concerns, I think anybody running a Kickstarter campaign for any kind of product, regardless of if it's a game, will benefit from the user engagement they can get. And the comments especially is a really quick and I would say a succinct and concise way of going about that. Very easy. Right, yeah, and, and you guys also had a free uh, print and play that you had available, so people actually got to test the game while your campaign was running. Did you find that was right. helpful? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think most of our reviews were performed using this uh, near final copy of the, the the print and play. So although it was not the final product that was included in the core set of Necromages, it would still be the nearest approximation to all of the final mechanics, values, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah definitely helpful. Great. And then during your campaign, you had a few updates. If I take a look here, it showed that you had da, 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 five updates during the campaign and 11 afterwards. So during the mm -hmm. campaign, it's kind of um, saying thank you in progression. Yeah. What kind of reasons do you have to send an update after the campaign? For us, first and foremost, it was shipping updates. So because we staggered our uh, which regions we were shipping to at which time for, uh, well, organizational reasons on our behalf, I'll say, hmm. uh, it was it was important just to say, oh, look, now we're shipping out to UK and then separating it. Now we're separating it out to shipping out to Europe, uh, the USA and so on and other other regions. And I think there was also some updates regarding the shipping of playmats as well. So any time you made an update, it was kind of an opportunity to be a bit, how do you say, like flavorful, saying, hey, you know, what's up? We haven't heard from us in a while. Uh, we have been working on this, letting people know we're still like alive or undead, as the case may be. Right. And um, may, mostly we just wanted to give people as much information as we can, as concisely as we could. That, that was yeah, the only driving force behind the update. 
And one of the neat things that you did on your updates that um, not everybody does is, like you said, you added flavor. So, for example, your last update mentions to all Lich Lords, Commanders of the Undead, and Masters of the Flesh Arts, a new scripture a week. <laughs> Uh, that just opens up your mind to all kinds of things, creepy and otherwise, <laughs> but uh, it makes you want to read it instead of, um, I mean, often I open up mine with, hey, here's an update. And that can be pretty boring, especially to a long-term Kickstarter backer. So I love that you <laughs> added that flavor and made it interesting. And it wasn't just the intro sentence. You do it throughout every update. Um, so it just shows that the you have a, a very thematic presence and uh, an engagement about your product. So I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, you can think uh, it's a bit embarrassing in some ways, but actually, if I had to be honest, I'm not very embarrassed about the funny writing. I think I was responsible uh, for writing most of the updates there. There are some short ones which I know Chris before, uh, put together and composed, but taking the time to do something quite uh, theatrical, I will say, a bit dramatic and a bit uh, trying to use some very <laughs> evocative language, I think it yeah. goes far. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. Uh, so with your product, you've proven that you have what it takes to think of a product, to create it, to share it, to fund it, to deliver it. Uh, so that alone is a great accomplishment and inspires others who want to share things with the world. Uh, mm -hmm. Beyond that, um, both for you and Chris, I mean, you've answered most of my other questions throughout our discussion here, but is there something that you'd like to be remembered for in this hobby, in this uh, board game or tabletop card game type of world? Yeah. Um, bringing people together to have fun is the simple and I suppose cliched answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I stand by that. Me and Chris, uh, Chris and I, sorry, uh, when we started out developing Necromagus and designing for it, it, it just happened uh, naturally. You know, we would say on a Thursday evening after work had finished, we'd go to the pub and we'd bring small card games, say uh, Magic the Gathering or Star Realms, for example. Right. Uh, just get uh, get some food in, have a cup of tea or a, a glass of cola or something, and play card games until it was late. And I think if you can engender that in other people, and and if our games can help people to do that and just have fun, then that's what matters. As sentimental Excellent. as that sounds. <laughs> okay. well, that's what got us into the hobby, right? So yeah, continue that tradition and just offer more games out there. The idea. Uh, and from what I understand, you and Chris are working on an expansion for Necromagus. Is that right? That would be correct. Yes. Do you have an official title or um, kind of concept on a different uh, faction or legion that you have planned for? Yes, we do. In fact, uh, I, I understand that when uh, you received your copy of Necromagus, wasn't there a funny uh, symbol or something on the uh, one of the pieces of rule sheets or something like that? Oh, there may have been. I, I do have the rules. I know you guys updated the rules post Kickstarter as well. I think that, but that might have been for um, a different pledge level. I'm not sure. It's kind of a strange thing. I'm sure Chris wrote what I was saying, but the uh, the name of the expansion is Arcane Gate. And uh, mm -hmm. not very many people know about that, but we had it sort of in the works since um, oh, long, long before we went to Kickstarter. And it is kind of, we've been struggling to, when we had the base mechanics of Necromages down, such as the flipping of wounds and all of this other stuff, the wounding mechanics and the flip effects, uh, we had a fifth faction, uh, you know, a fifth sigil type. Right. So we yeah. had the four sigil types in the base game and we had a fifth one and we had to take it out because it was a bit, uh, we, we weren't able to balance it with the base game. But we're intending to 
put that out there again, the Arcane Gate sigil. The Arcane Gates. Excellent. And is that, uh, you got some of that artwork planned as well? Or have you already got some pre-made? Yeah, yeah it's, um, Chris has quite a lot prepared. Uh, the artwork is intended to be just as brutal, if not more so, than our <laughs> previous iterations. I'm sure that'll be enjoyed by people who are a bit weird. <laughs> Uh, and I love the card backs that you have. I imagine that would be the same card backs you'd have to use in the expansion, but just that uh, elongated skull with the clamp around it, just uh, very evocative and eye-catching. So when you are doing your marketing or your posts, uh, just that image alone could be curious enough to click. Mm, it could be a good idea. <laughs> All right, maybe some less serious questions here, or more personal side about you guys. You mentioned a couple of card games that you like. What What is your favorite type of game is it card games is it board games is it um worker placement what kind of games do you like or you and chris like uh tough one i i think chris and i both like card games specifically we are branching more recently in our regular game nights we're trying dungeons and dragons uh so enjoying like tabletop pen and paper rpg type of things worker placement i'm not so sure on i think chris once had an idea for a game based on worker placement um, we've had trouble with that one, however. It was a bit difficult to design for. But I'd say card games, definitely. Magic, for example. Excellent. And then for a theme, I mean, I could probably take a stab at this one, but um, when it comes to theme, you mentioned Star Realms and Magic. Are you more into sci-fi or fantasy or um, business card games? <laughs> business card games. What are those? Just making stuff up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, fantasy. I I personally like medieval fantasy. I like it when it's a bit grounded, you know, and there are knights and uh, swords and shields, sword and board, dungeon raiding, uh, all that kind of thing where people are, you know, warriors of fortune looking to make a bit of cash. Not as such. I'm not into like wizards and magic and casting fireballs and all that kind of thing. I like it when it's a bit grounded. I couldn't right. say for Chris. He's just a bit, uh, if his artwork is anything to go by, he's a bit tapped in the head. Gotcha. I don't. Don't know what his preferred theme is. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And you got are you a preference to two player games or three or four player games? Do you like a party game? Yeah, I'd say two player. Uh, uh, throughout uh, development of Necromages, whenever we'd be playing games at the pub or at each other's houses or something, it would be a two player game with a small footprint. So typically yeah. that would be cards where it's modular and you can not have a huge board all these pieces and messing around with components we weren't into that so much so definitely um yeah like a two-player duel style game yeah just a bit more portable and easier to wing out at the, the pub table or the restaurant table yeah and it was better than just fighting instead <laughs> get to fight in the card game yeah Excellent. Well, uh, I do appreciate your time joining me today, Alex. I mean, I, I hope your Kickstarter journey for Necromagus and our discussion about it can help inspire and educate some of the other creators out there to keep working and making their ideas turn into reality. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if there's one thing you can do to encourage and motivate other Kickstarter journeys, just take a minute and a dollar or two and support a project that catches your eye today. We may not be able to buy all of the cool things we see, but just that little bit can help pad their bottom line and help their project move in the right direction. And then we might be able to talk to somebody else like Alex about their journey. Thank you very much again, Alex. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure.